NEAT, N-E-E-T, stands for Not in Education, Employment, or Training. The use of the term was popularized in the 2000s to address the rising numbers of young men especially who were electing to often stay with their parents or friends or other family without going to school or going to work. Often these young men engaged in gaming or watching anime, they're all characterized by being very online. That is, their home, their home culture, is the internet. In Asia, this was often characterized as internet addiction. We do what we do partially because of where we get our validation and status from. These things help give us a feeling of inclusion, of being a part of something greater, of having a purpose or function that is bigger than ourselves. In the last century or so, a little more than that, we have increasingly received our purpose from careers, from the markers of being a good worker in a capitalist society. Where before you might have received your purpose by being a part of the family you were in, by being a part of the church that you were in, by worshipping the God you worshipped, and being a part of the country that you lived in, the rise of the nation-state, after all, happened in the last 500 years. When all these functions sort of collapsed because I'm telling you that nationalism has effectively collapsed in the last 20 years, though this is the beginning and it is a silent and quiet collapse. Silent and quiet in that if you look around you, there are still nation-states and they still control things, or at least appear to. Anyway, After this change, people began to look for meaning, not from their communities, not from their gods, but from their careers, from what kind of car they drove, from what kind of house they were in, from where they went on holiday, when their companies allowed them to go on holiday. So... 
this is where most people get their sense of purpose. Needs present us with a different way. The rise of the internet allowed many people, including myself, to find a world with completely different status systems, or seemingly completely different status systems. You may not be, in your everyday life, a respectable member of society, having no job, but you probably have a job in the games you play, or in the gaming clans that you are a part of, or the niche nerd community that you might be a part of online. You could be a well-known artist in some forum, a well-known leader in another game, and all these things would serve to give some meaning to your life that you would not be getting from the people around you. Your everyday life as a neat, if you are a neat, is one of living in a desert. You have resources, that is true, physical resources, but your status, your social resources, are scarce. And those from outside of the desert do not know how you find water and food in this place. They do not know how you find your status. They do not know how you find your meaning. But the very fact that you have not committed suicide yet is proof that you are getting something somewhere. And this produces a lot of confusion for people who aren't neats. In what world would someone willingly choose to go jobless or without going to school when everyone else around them says that that is the only way to live? And, and there is no world where this exists. If needs were transported back into another time and another place, say the 18th century, they would not necessarily be needs because they would be surrounded by people who would not give them the space to even imagine a world where they did not devote their lives to their families and to their religions or to money. Needs are getting their sense of meaning, their sense of purpose, from worlds that are created online. And I don't just mean this in terms of video games, but also in online communities. In the 17th century and the 18th century, and leading up to, till now, I'm sure this has always been the case, if you read uh, Augustine, you will see a similar pattern where there are cohorts of people that form together that then go on to change the world. Where this happens is different at different times. If you go far back enough, 
a, a lot of these are groups of young men who were warriors formed by conflict in between territories. At a later time, it might be a specific philosophy school. At another, it might be a specific front on a specific war. Later on, much later in the modern era, we have salons and coffee houses, companies such as Bell Labs, now uh, the venture capitalist firm Y Combinator. But you also started to see this on the internet. Groups of people from various areas on the internet staying together past whatever purpose they might have gathered for. I, for example, have a group of people that I stay in contact with who we came together as a gaming clan. And a lot of us now don't really game that much, but we stay in touch. And there are exchanges made. There are social networks that are deepened because of these relationships. And in the long term, wealth is about the wealth of your social network. So you have these communities with their alternate status systems. Instead of a career or what kind of car you drive, you might get status for how fast it might take you to figure out someone's real name. You might get status for having played a specific game and been engaged in a sort of political process within that game some years ago. You might get status for thinking a certain way. In fact, this is probably how you often get status in communities like this online. It's not how you look physically, necessarily, though these things tend to collapse over time. How you do in terms of the modern monetary system or anything like that. It's, it's how you think. Because that is what comes out in text over time. And that is what comes out in your behavior over time, even if no one has your real name or your face attached to your behavior. They will learn your behavior well enough that many people can spot their friends online in a totally different context just from the way they speak in, in sentences. So let's talk about Ibn Khaldun, the writer of the Mukaddima, the father of political science. He wrote about the Arabs, the Bedouins in the desert, he called them savages, and the interplay between these people and the people of the caliphates and uh, Muslim empires, essentially, that he was a part of. And he noticed that there was a pattern. One, that the people who live out there tended to be able to deal with hardship much more easily. Two, they were not very amenable to learning how to read or write or anything like that, and this was actually an advantage to them 
because when the state wanted to domesticate an area, when it wanted to tax an area, when it wanted to control an area, it benefited from people who could read and write. Because one of the ways that you take over is by changing the way that people think. And two, that these desert peoples often produced many noble houses. The first in the line of the noble house would often come from the desert, would be a desert savage. And this made for a strong founder. Because they were used to the hardship, they used their resources well to establish a strong noble house. Now the second generation then builds on this and becomes a stronger house often, but Ibn Khaldun noticed that by the fourth generation or so, there was a sort of decadence that happened where the descendants would lose their strength. They would come to rely on all the material wealth that their ancestors made and left them, and they would forget the desert ways. And because they forgot the desert ways, they would forget how to be strong, and instead would favor markers of status and class in such a way that was disconnected from the ultimate source of that status, which was competence in surviving in a harsh environment. This pattern is not just uh, in the Arabs. Peter Turchin, the historian and statistician who came up with a way of looking at history with data, also points to a similar cycle in a lot of steppe cultures. The steppe culture would conquer a sedentary agricultural area, and once that happens, the thing that made it easy for those steppe cultures to conquer, the thing that made it easy for the Tartars, the Turks, or the uh, Mongols to conquer the people that they conquered was that hardship, that uh, scarcity that they dealt with, and learning to live with that scarcity. But once they conquered them, they would often take on the ways and the culture of the people they conquered. And this would essentially weaken them over time, even as they got richer. In the mid-20th century, the science fiction writer Frank Herbert released Dune, a science fiction novel and a series of novels that has kind of paralleled the popularity of Tolkien or C.S. Lewis in some ways, except in the area of science fiction, though it never got quite as strong a following as either of those. It does have a very strong following, especially for the first few books, and it's been witnessing a sort of resurgence in some circles. And I think that's actually because Frank Herbert includes a lot of these 
patterns that we see in the real world in his writing to include the pattern of noble houses and desert peoples. You see, Dune is set on the planet Arrakis. And this planet, Arrakis, is a desert planet. There is an intergalactic empire, a spacefaring empire, that mines something called the Spice on Dune. And this Spice is a substance that deeply changes the people who imbibe it. There is a, a series of pilots, a group or a guild of pilots that do all the flying in space for this empire, and the only way they can fly is with the help of this spice, because it changes something about the way they think. Something about the way they perceive time. And so, within the Byzantine politics of this empire, a noble family is sent to Dune to govern it. These are the Atreides family. They come from a lush forest paradise of a planet, and so it's a very stark change for the family. While Leto Atreides, the duke, the would-be governor of Arrakis, is something of a typical uh, noble hero leader. His wife, Lady Jessica, turns out to be a part of the Bene Gesserit, and in this universe, the Bene Gesserit are a secret semi-religious order. Um, they manipulate many things that happen in the galaxy. They're all extremely well-trained in various forms of manipulation, as well as ways of seeing the world. And among the things they do is that they plant stories in various cultures, stories that they can then take and use later. And this is going to become important in Dune because they plant a story of a messiah among the Fremen. The Fremen in Dune, in Arrakis, are the local people of the desert. And they share a lot in common with the Bedouin, or desert savages, of Ibn Khaldun's history. Except, of course, it's, it's science fiction and it's space, so they're dealing with these special suits that allow them to recycle all the water that they use, and they use other space things, um, kind of like what you would see in Star Wars or Star Trek and so on. But the point is that these are a people of this desert planet that the space empire does not really understand. They don't really know how many of them are. They are. They don't really know much about their culture. Um, they just govern over them, and these people kind of just tell the empire what it wants to hear, but it doesn't really share much of itself with the empire or all the knowledge that it knows. Because the bureaucrats who are sent by the empire kind of have their story of how the world is, and that's what they're looking for. 
Um, the Fremen, meanwhile, know that to give an empire too much information is to let it have control over you, so they just show them what they want to see. This again is similar to the history of central powers gaining influence in the Middle East. So in this story, in Dune, Leto Atreides, the archetypical uh, noble leader, is betrayed, much like in in Game of Thrones, by uh, jealous, power-hungry other houses. In this case, it's the Harkonnens, which is a house that has a culture of extreme greed and jealousy and clutching to own things. Whereas Atreides, as a leader, knows that you have to care for the people um, that you lead in order for them to serve you well, the Harkonnens lead by fear. But they are well poised to take over the planet through their machinations, which they do. And in the process, they kill the Duke. But the Duke has a son, Paul Atreides. And, of course, he has his wife, who is the Lady Jessica, the Bene Gesserit, the secret order of of nuns, space nuns, uh, who are manipulating the world around them. So imagine if the Jesuits were women, but also the CIA. So you have the situation and the teenage son and his mother run into the desert. And there they meet the Fremen, the desert peoples. And they realize that because of the harsh environment, these Fremen, all of them, kind of act like a military unit. Which is to say, they have a lot of high trust amongst themselves. And they move in a, in a way that would make sense if you are moving as a military unit, quietly, well-machined, well-oiled. And Paul undergoes a ritual to take the spice in a certain way and also to undergo great pain. Now, this is a ritual that, among the Bene Gesserit, only women tend to pass. Men typically can't take it. Um, If they do, they tend to go mad. But Paul goes through this ritual, and he survives. And he does not seem to go mad as such, though he's definitely changed. And his mother insinuates that he is their messiah. Remember that the Bene Gesserit plants these mythologies all over the place. So, Paul takes on this role as a sort of messiah of of the Fremen, these people of the desert. And because they are used to scarcity, because they're used to following a completely different value system and status system than the Empire, they win. Um, and Paul takes over Arrakis. Uh, eventually, he becomes the 
emperor and his son will turn into something else, but that's another story. And the point is, Neats are our Fremen. Neats live in a sort of status desert. They are used to getting meaning and purpose from very unusual places. From places that others don't know how to get them. You know, uh, for a lot of people, if you don't have a career, if you don't have a house, you are lost. The needs in your life, if you look around, you might notice, have found ways to survive without using uh, a career as a symbol, without needing the same accolades or certifications in order to go on with their lives. And at the moment, they are constantly insulted for this, and a lot of them believe these insults, that they do indeed need careers and whatnot, but they keep on doing something else, either due to stupidity or laziness, whatever explanation they may have. However, the fact is, they have found another way to survive. And this is incredibly valuable. Because if you have a system that all has the same incentives, then when it has weaknesses, it's hard for anyone to come out of those weaknesses. Uh, as a good example, most people work the 40-hour work week, even though it makes no sense as far as what we know about how learning works and what we know about how work works. Uh, if you're in an intellectual job, for instance, you can probably only get at most four, hours, four good hours a day, and a lot of times it's not about the four same hours every day. It's you might go hard for two weeks and then kind of lay low for another three weeks or a month or whatever, and then have another cycle where you go hard for another two weeks, and that's much closer to how you might have lived as a forager, how your ancestors might have lived as foragers. You're not constantly working at a set of uh, time. That is from farming. And farming is relatively new. So, in order to escape that, in order to be allowed to think for yourself, you need to find a way outside of that incentive system. Because... Famously, if you are paid not to believe in something, you will not be able to believe in it. If you are paid to believe in something, you will have no choice but to believe it. If you are a lawyer, you are going to need to believe on some level in the supremacy of the law. There, it's, it's very hard to do, to do otherwise. If you are being paid to give up ownership of the things you create and of your time and of your thoughts, then you will not be able to see that it is possible to live in another way. You will think that you must go, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt in order to live in the world, when in actuality you could have probably done just fine uh, living on very little. And so this is how you might have a culture of people who have a lot of material wealth, but they are thinking 
like a peasant or serf class, a class that does not have ownership over their own mines. You see, in the past, it was land. It, you might have worked the land that belonged to someone else. And because of that, everything you did eventually added up to someone else's shit. Which is fine as long as whoever's leading you cares about you in the same way that Leto Atreides, the duke in Dune, cares for his people. But that's actually very hard to do. It's very hard to provide that kind of leadership. And we lack that kind of leadership, which means that most of the time, when you work for someone else, when you work the land for someone else, they're not going to use the fruits of your labor as well as you would if that was your own land. So, similarly, what we are paid for now is to work our minds for someone else. And because of that, we aren't allowed to use the full extent of our minds because it belongs to someone else. Your time belongs to someone else. Your thoughts belong to someone else. Now, what Neats have found is how to avoid that. How to live for themselves. Now, they are attacked for this every day. They are shamed for this every day. In the same way that in the story, in Dune, the Fremen are thought of as a backwards people who scurry around in the desert. We think of Neats as a backward people who scurry around in dark basements playing video games. When in fact, again, video games teach you how to fight. Um, most people don't realize this, except when they are having moral panics, talking about how video games lead to school shootings or crimes. But video games teach general intelligence. They give you an environment with certain amounts of constraints, and unlike school, there's not just one way to do things. Typically, there are many ways to do things. This teaches general intelligence. And oppositional general intelligence, when you are in a conflict with someone else, when you are in a player versus player game with someone else, you are learning how to fight. Now, people don't realize this because we don't have many places left where we are allowed to fight. Um, in the way that two puppies might fight. Uh, you know, you see puppies, they're always kind of fighting. They're play fighting. Um, in the same way, games are play fighting. But you don't realize this because you're doing it in a non-embodied way. So it's being simulated on your mind. You're seeing it on a screen. And you think that, oh, it's, it's stupid to think that this would have anything to do with anything outside of the game. But I can tell you that the lessons that you learn in such a game will transfer just fine to grappling, to combat sports, to small unit tactics, and that you can use all these same things to win at life. So we're sitting on this gold mine in the same way that Arrakis was sitting on a gold mine of Fremen, uh, in this case a spice mine, <laughs> that the ultimate value of Arrakis wasn't really in the spice, the spice is a key part of it, but it was in the people, in the Fremen, the desert peoples. 
So needs are our fremen because we are sitting on this vast unused general intelligence. And just like the Bene Gesserit planted prophecies that could be used, we have prophecies planted in our needs. And we call these prophecies Dragon Ball Z. We call these prophecies the Avengers. We call these prophecies Mass Effect. All these narratives are just lying there waiting to be used. Because every neat is walking around with these stories in their head. And if you provide them with actions, with choices in real life that mimic these stories, that allow them to perform these stories, then you are going to bring them out into the rest of the world. And the rest of the world will not know what hit them.